Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Career Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight world-class Asian entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, and leaders and allies who provide insights from their personal journey to inspire you. And this is your host, Priyanka Komla. Today is our 62nd episode of Career Startup Leadership Podcast, and I have a fabulous guest to unveil. But before that, a couple of quick reminders. If you're watching this on LinkedIn or YouTube or Instagram, yes, we are debuting on Instagram today, please hit the like or the follow and leave a comment on how this podcast is inspiring you. And also, a question or a comment entails you to get a free mentoring session with my special guest. With that being said, we're also available on all podcast streaming platforms, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. You can consume our content on the go. So do remember to follow us on these podcast platforms as well and leave us a review and a rating. All right, a special guest for today is an ally for the Asian community and for women of color, a DEI scientist. Wondering who that could be and what that means? Well, without further ado, I have her here. Mila Deshan. Hi, Mila. Hi, Priyanka. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be on your platform where you amplify so many Asian leaders' voice. So thank you for doing you. Oh, such a pleasure, Mila. And Mila has been an amazing person to get to know. I've also been a guest on her podcast, The Hardship. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about who Mila is as a DEI scientist, but also her personal experiences that have helped her be who she is today. And also she's somebody who loves mentoring other women, women of color, and she's been super helpful to me as I was going through my own process of becoming a, a top podcaster. So thank you so much, Mila, for all the wonderful help that you do to uplift each other. Oh, no, absolutely. I always believe in the support system and being a success partner, right? We have to move that needle from being an ally to becoming a success partner where we really, truly lift each other up. So thank you for having me. That's very true. So to our listeners, Mila is a culture and DEI scientist, diversity, and diversity, equity, and inclusion scientist, and a visionary who partners with leaders, businesses, universities, and communities to catalyze progression in the way we lead to cultivate hardship, which is the now of leadership. She has over 20 years of experience in researching and learning the evolving culture of people and organizational behavior around the world. And she's worked with fortune finder companies. She has also helped people in their careers, as well as she founded her own company, Chief of Hearts, which is a culture science company. A diverse journey of hers has allowed her to morph leadership into hardship, which is the now of leadership and us. Super fascinating to hear a lot of new words. So let's delve into it and understand more behind the story of hardship. Sumila, let me get started with this. How do you define hardship? Yeah, so, you know, I was doing a lot of work with leadership in, in every facet of my career, right? And there's always buzzwords about, you know, to be a leader, you have to be this. To be a leader, you have to speak a certain way. To be a leader, you have to have certain characteristics. And I, I quickly found that those were the false definition of leadership or false narratives of what leadership is. Yes, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, there was a different kind of a leadership where you bark orders, where a manager is a people manager, a manager is a micromanager, right? 
And people think that if you're a micromanager, if you manage people, you become a leader where you bark orders, where you control them, where you instill fear. And the more I research, I try to look at it from a very holistic perspective, right? Leadership is not about, <clears throat> you know, whipping people and putting those leashes on top and asking them to charge somewhere. <clears throat> Excuse me. Leadership is actually about leading people from the heart for their beating hearts, truly understanding them from an extended lens, right? How they show up at work is not an isolated theme. It's not an isolated factor. How Mila is or how Priyanka is going to show up at work, her identity is shaped as to how she belongs in her community, how she belongs at home, how she belongs in society as a whole. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I started like researching and really analyzing people as to you know, the way to lead is from the heart. If we look at family dynamics, if we look at tribe dynamics, I spent a lot of time in different parts of the world with tribes as well, how they have a collective culture as opposed to a, 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 as opposed to an individualistic culture, right? In America, it's very individualistic. It's like, me, 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 me. I need to climb the corporate ladder. I need to shine. I need to bark louder. I need to speak louder. And I started thinking, no. How does your how how does your mom lead? How how do your parents lead, right? When you have four children or seven children at home, your parents come together, show equal love. They understand who you are as a person. Yes, people can say no. You know, we're not going to baby you. We are not your mom at work. But at the same time, when you value people as to who they are, accept people who they are at what stage of their lives that changes and that's what leadership is all about it's coming from the heart where your heart is beating and you're caring for other people we talk about kindness empathy and i see a lot of universities having certification for empathy i see a lot of business leaders talking about empathy first kindness first i feel that that's more like capitalizing right because in america everyone loves capitalizing a lot of things but we really need to understand what is empathy. You can't talk about empathy and create a video about an empathy when you don't really practice it from a systemic perspective. Empathy is about are we paying our entry level, our janitor, pay, pay equity to sustain their lives in the now times, right? You can't tell them, okay, I'm going to pay you $12 an hour and expect them to pay rent 1.4K and say, okay, you know, I'm all about empathy, I understand, but this is an entry-level job. No, when you want to truly practice empathy and kindness and love, compassion, you really need to dig deeper, and that's what hardship is all about. Hardship is about the now of leadership. It's not about the past of leadership. It's not about the future of work. You really want to shift that needle in diversity, in culture, in, you know, in equity. You really need to understand the now, how people exist from a three-pronged perspective, how they exist at home, at work, in society, and how that triangle impacts and shapes their identity and their place in society as a whole. So that's the whole person <laughs> or hardship. Thanks for the holistic understanding of uh, what hardship means to you and to us, the listeners as well. We have uh, some listeners that we wanted to acknowledge. We have Deepa Sarojam says hi, Priyanka and Miller. Hi, Deepa. hi, Deepa. 
Welcome to the show. And to our other listeners who are tuning on all our different social media platforms, do leave us a comment and a quick hello so we can acknowledge and know where you're tuning in from. So Deepa has a couple of questions and comments which I wanted to highlight. We spoke about DEI and Miller, as a DEI scientist, we know DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. But how do you define the real meaning of DEI, especially in today's landscape where this seems to be the buzzword that every organization wants to embrace? Yeah, so DEI, like diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? I, I've been doing this work for 20 years and it was not even known as DER 20 years ago. It was known as multicultural, right? Multicultural communication or cross-cultural communication. And when we look at DEI, especially nowadays, like you said, Priyanka, due to the current landscape, everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon. Everyone is looking at it as black and white, not just in paper, black and white as in Caucasians versus you know, black people in America. We need to look beyond that. Yes, I do acknowledge that that is a vast disparity between how black people are treated in this community, right? But at the same time, a lot of companies are jumping on the bandwagon just to, you know, satisfy those tick boxes as to, okay, I I have hired <clears throat> X number of black people. I have hired uh, 10 black people in the top management position. And then, and then what happens beyond that? What happens beyond that? No one is seeing the bigger picture. No one wants to be the visionary. Yes, we have created a council, DER council for hiring, but that becomes more detrimental than ever. You have a whole group of people having different lenses of what diversity is. They come together and that can hurt your hiring processes as well. Right, but when we really look at DEI from my perspective, from a hardship perspective, from a holistic perspective, I want people to understand that diversity isn't isolated. Diversity is integrated in every facet of your organization, every facet of your life, every facet of society. We want to uproot the systemic issues, right? How do we do that? Systemic issues start from school, start from your home, starts even in your neighborhood, right? So when we really want to embrace inclusion, inclusion can never be possible without acceptance. And that's one of the research that I spent traveling to Southeast Asia last year to really understand how do people in different parts of Asia belong, right? That can never be inclusion. That can never be inclusion without belonging. That can never be belonging without acceptance. Acceptance is the key factor that we are all missing in this era or in the past few years that we have been talking about diversity acceptance is not about okay i accept you i'm I'm tolerating you tolerance is not dei tolerance is about you know going to a restaurant that your your spouse said no we're going to go it's my turn to choose that's tolerating and then you will get this this (laughs) this hatred towards your spouse right and you'll get into a fight. Tolerance is not DEI. Tolerance is about, I'm going to just tolerate you because you're part of the circle. And tolerance is actually hidden hatred. So I'm not talking about tolerance. I'm talking about acceptance. Acceptance is about, I I truly accept our differences. I truly accept where you are right now. Yes, you do not 
such as for X, Y, and Z. Yes, you do not have five years of experience, but I'm going to accept that you have this knowledge. I'm going to accept you as a friend because we are more accepting of our friends, right? Because we always feel believe that okay, I'm going to support you. We are friends. We're going to lift each other up. How about transferring that into work relationship? How about transferring that into your community? We talk about you know I'm a I'm a woman. Uh, I I empower other women. Even with women leaders, we see that disparity, right? If you have a, a woman of color in a leadership position, they tend to hijack and gatekeep that position, and they tend to morph into a different person where they say, "Oh, you're not ready yet. I had to go through this, so you have to go through that." It's not about all of that. It's about breaking all those ceilings. It's about breaking all those walls, and really understanding what acceptance is about. How do we accept each person? Because each person themselves, they are diverse, right? They are unique. It's about understanding how people share. It's about understanding. You know, a lot of people say reality loves company. Some people's reality is negative. It's not about reality. It's it, it's not about you know uh, uh, what what's that called? Misery loves company. It's not about misery loving company. Sometimes people's misery can be contributed to, you know, what people are doing to them, how people are displaced in communities. I would say reality loves company, right? My reality is about if I'm displaced, if I'm not getting a job based on the color of my skin, if I'm not being included, if I'm constantly saying, being told that you're not ready yet, right? That becomes my reality. That shapes my identity. That shapes my narrative. Saying, okay, I'm not getting there. But when we truly understand that reality loves company, and re- someone's reality is what we're supposed to accept, and someone's reality is an opportunity for us to change that as leaders, that's what is what diversity is about as well, right? Diversity is not about okay, you you are different based on your accent, nationality, skin color. It's not about that. It is that and more. It's like. I'm going to use this example. It's about mold. When mold grows, we can't see the invisible spores that grows underneath. The roots go, the spores go deeper and further. That's how mold thrive, right? And that's exactly how we're supposed to look at someone's reality. How deep do your spores grow that you're displaced from communities, displaced at the workplace, displaced and being displaced at the workplace, how does that correlate to you showing up in your community or at the school or at home? So you brought in a very you brought in a very beautiful concept, Miller, which is, you know, the way we look at ourselves is very instrumental in this this whole discussion about DEI, because it starts from you, the way you accept yourself. And that reflects into every other relationship that you have with people around you. I wanted to quickly pivot to another aspect of our workplace culture. Uh, Deepa is asking about you know, how micromanagement is still an ongoing issue, especially when we work with managers. And I want to tie it with you know, another aspect uh, of leadership, which is basically when you're leading, your philosophy is you have to lead with clarity and you need to listen. What do you think is the the missing piece of the puzzle when we have micromanaging managers, especially for, um, you know, in such workplace cultures? What advice would you have for Deepa? So there's a huge, huge gap between 
leadership and managers, right? And and this false belief. A lot of people think that to be a manager that uh, okay, firstly, a lot of people want to become a manager for the wrong reasons, right? They want to advance in their career. So people feel that to be a manager, it's advancing in their career. To be a manager, that's more pay, right? There's a huge difference. So I want to touch on the first difference first. There's a difference between a manager and a people success partner, right? A people success partner is someone who truly understands your team. Every person in your team, you understand them as a human. And what truly ticks them, what energizes them, what de-energizes them, right? And people who come, who become a manager for the wrong reasons, it's either they are power hungry money hungry, status hungry, right? You can progress in your career in so many different ways. You can still get a pay raise by talking to your manager, by saying, hey, I'm doing all, all these projects, X, Y, and Z. I believe that I need a pay raise. I believe I need a promotion. You can still get promoted without being a people manager, right? But that's the whole whole. <laughs> mistake that people are making promoting people into managerial or leadership position who do not know anything about empowering people enabling people truly understanding them as a human micromanaging comes from a place of insecurity i have worked with a lot of managers and and i've noticed that managers or people who micromanage they have got a huge insecurity about themselves and they are insecure or intimidated by what you can do so when we have people of this sort in manager positions one of the things that i tell a lot of organizations is they should be removed from people manager positions because it will hurt your retention rate it will hurt your career progression rate it will hurt your engagement rate one person can cause a lot of damage and people are not even understanding just because a manager can bring in one million dollar of sales does not mean that they can retain 20 people 100 people 500 people in your organization just compare that fiscally as well so to your question deeper it's you have dealt with with micromanaging one of the things that i would say i've dealt with it as well when i used to at a fortune 500 company uh i would say have honest conversations just because you're a woman just because you're a woman of color do not back down have those real honest conversations if your manager still continues to micromanage you track it you know have this communication via email find your allies your true allies you know that is there's a difference between hr and there's a difference between employee uh, employee engagement or employee yeah employee engagement resource groups right your employee engagement resource groups are the ones who will truly become your ally there's a difference and i know that now hr is shifting hr is becoming how can we support our team members much more better but the biggest thing that people need to realize it has always has got to come from the top the ceo you have to set that culture right and it also needs to come from everyone in the organization you need to speak up you need to call up people who are micromanaging you need to make your voice being heard saying hey this is not the kind of managers that we want this is what is happening this is how it's impacting me this is how it's impacting my morale and when my morale is impacted i can't be productive 
we need to start speaking up more. Yes, there are incidents where HR will just brush it underneath the carpet. And that's when you go to your employee resource. That's the worst case scenario. But from a hardship perspective, from a diversity perspective, where it becomes holistic, we need to take, so I use social responsibility in this lingo because it's our social responsibility to keep those checks and balances. If your manager is not empowering me, they need to go out as a, a manager and they need to take on as an individual contributor. So when someone is not appreciating you deeper, stand, you know, stand strong, voice out, and don't lose hope. Uh, I was bullied. I was physically, not sorry, not physically, <laughs> you know, mentally, emotionally, verbally bullied. And that led me to myself to physically abuse myself through food, through lack of sleep. And I had three managers who micromanaged me, who, who kept on saying, I'm not getting enough, I'm a foreigner, I can't speak English, right? I was micromanaged, everything I did was not done correctly. Everything I did, I had to redo again. Everyone whom I wanted to speak to, I had to get permissions. And it impacted me to a point where I was suicidal, right? And it, it took me such a long time to realize that and and people don't realize that you know even we who are being micromanaged by other people we have the right to say stop so when you find yourself in positions where you're micromanaged speak up and if if other people are pushing you back find the right kind of allies in your organization track it do not give up by saying okay i'm not going to do this project shine outshine them and i always tell success is the best kind of revenge on people who are trying to dim your light. Thanks for sharing those candid insights into your life, Mila. I've known your story and I'm so grateful uh, you've shared your personal story of how you've overcome uh, you know, DEI issues as well as micromanaging issues in such a beautiful way. So thanks for sharing that. So to Deepa's question, you know, the way I'm looking at these different aspects of the dynamics at workplaces, just like a three-legged stool, you have you as an employee, then you have, that's your first leg, then you have the other leg who's your manager and, you know, the, uh, the team around it. And the third leg is the actual leadership and the entire, you know, the stool is like the workplace culture, right? So all these three things together form the workplace where you want to succeed at the same time, help others succeed. But the other challenge that some may not recognize is you mentioned about Asian culture, you know, where we have a different way of looking at workplace. You know, most of the times you feel you need to have a different attitude towards, you know, somebody tells you what exactly to do or, you know, this is the fine line where my light doesn't shine too much, you know, to create more insecurities around the team. And especially as immigrants, right, when you come to a different country and you create your careers there, it's so hard to just speak up with the same privilege as somebody who's born in this country. Uh, would do naturally. What advice would you have, especially for women of color who are immigrants who need to balance that fine line of how much do you speak out versus how much your success speaks for yourself? Right. That's a great, great question, Priyanka. And being an immigrant myself, <laughs> being an immigrant myself, I used to struggle a lot with it, right? Because oftentimes passive aggressiveness, right? Uh, Passive aggressiveness and bias, bias narratives come in the form of 
hey, you know, that's not how we pronounce that in, in the US. That's not what, how we say, right? And when we truly want to embrace diversity, and especially when organizations are becoming global companies and have been global companies, we can't embrace that narrative as to, oh, this is how we do in America, right? Then you are approaching it from a very egocentric perspective, right? There's egocentric, ethnocentric, and world-centric perspective. So how I try to combat those imposter syndrome, uh, I, I used to have imposter syndrome a lot, and those insecurities is by truly working from within, right? But we can work from within at the same time, we need to have our allies as well. Find those allies, right? And if you are another woman of colour at work, and if you see another woman of colour at work, don't judge them immediately. And I had this really intriguing conversation with a few uh, Asian women, and some of them were from India, some of them were from uh, Bangladesh. And it was really intriguing how the conversation went, right? The first question amongst themselves were, which part of India are you from? And there was this conversation as to, oh, I'm from the North. Oh, she's from the South. And then there was nuanced conversations, side conversations. Oh, you know how people from the South are. I don't. I, I really don't. And my first question was, does that really matter? You are an immigrant over here. By you creating the segregation, you can never become an ally for each other, right? Uh, so for one of the biggest, biggest tips and, and allyship <laughs> tips that I can give to women of colour, regardless of whichever country you are from, as an Asian or as a woman of colour, this happens... Where I've seen this with Chinese communities, with Indian communities as well, because there's colorism going on. We need to eliminate whatever that we have learned back in Asia. Caste. Don't don't judge someone by their caste. Don't judge someone by their skin color. How light an Asian is, how dark an Asian is, right? Which you know, it doesn't matter whether you're from China, whether you're from India, whether you're from Malaysia, whether you're from Iran. It does not matter. If you are an immigrant in this country, you need to form allies. Number one, how can we amplify someone else's voice? And this is one of the things that I did. I had a, a few colleagues of mine who were from China, who were from Japan, who were from Iran and Bangladesh, and the constant narratives that I heard from my white colleagues were, oh. You know, they can't speak properly. They can't speak proper English. And I stood up in, in front of everyone by saying they are speaking proper English. It's just different dialects of English. American English is a different form of a dialect. Just because we are not used to someone else's enunciation does not mean that they can't speak English. And you, ha and you have to double up by saying that's a great idea. And that's what I did. We have to create those instances where if another person of colour is saying something or women of colour saying something, as an immigrant woman of colour, I have learned how to say that's a fantastic idea. How can I help you make that idea possible and say anyone else would like to come on board on this project? Be that firm voice. And that's how I have. I have moved the needle being an immigrant in the United States and at the workplace. And when you find yourself in spaces where your voice is eliminated, find those allies. And don't be afraid, because I know in Asian culture, we are told, put your head down, just work, you will get recognized. Don't listen to those, <laughs> those advice anymore. Yes, for, for your parents, for your grandparents, it worked. 
but we are a different generation and we need to set that generation we need to set that example we need to set that change in our generation and say no we can do anything right we can become assertive we can speak up even if someone you know like dismisses you speak up and say hey i'd like to understand why you're saying no put them in their spot but in a very respectful manner i always say you can rock the boat but rock the boat respectfully so and it says that you know you're not to be taken as a joke you to be taken seriously so that's what has helped me build my voice in this space as an immigrant Samila, thank you so much for that wonderful insights and how we can navigate the workplace dynamics as an immigrant as a woman of color you brought up a great example of allyship which is very crucial for our success i've benefited greatly and most of my allies have been men men of color men from different walks of lives and we have this perception that sometimes uh, you know the truth is men still hold the top rungs of leadership so we need to have them as allies what kind of conversations can we initiate especially with men to help them understand our points of view and make sure this is a a win-win mutually respectful allyship that we can create what advice would you have sure so one of the things that i i've invited men to the conversation is trying to make them understand what machismo is right machismo is not about oh i'm a man i need to be the provider that's 100 years ago you're not living in tribe you're not a caveman anymore right so we need to understand from a perspective as to you know why number one why on the female leadership present in the organization i always try to understand from their perspective and most of the time the men that i've spoken to they are more interested in having more women in leadership right even though when they say the yes we need to, again i'm going back to the point as to we need to get yeses and buyins from ceo level from c suite level if the c suite level any male is sitting over that says no then it becomes harder for the rest of our organization to catch on but at the same time as when we are in the bottom or when we are in middle management we also have a social responsibility to have those conversations and come together right so one of the things that i've constantly done i have male mentors as well is speak with them as to you know how can we work on something and how can we really include females or women of color or people of color in conversations and it's those allyship i i don't say allyship because a lot of the times when people say i'm your ally i speak for you allies are not supposed to speak for us allies are supposed to allies are supposed to pass the mic to us allies are supposed to create that opportunity and say i'm with you i'm your sponsor that's what i call a success partnership right and those are the conversations i have with mills and 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 if you are in the boardroom if you are in the c suite if you are a manager advocate for women advocate for people of color saying okay i recognize you this is what you're going to do and eliminate that favoritism as to which <laughs> team member buys you cake which team member complains you because male tend to reciprocate that more right they are more reciprocative to its females who orders lunch no you know eliminate that that feminine what that feminine the traditional uh, roles the way you look at yeah. it right mm-hmm. eliminate that and say no like give no taking to a male right give lunch buying to a male it's not going to reduce your your masculinity no you know if we are so 
narrow-minded about, you know, one is to one, this is masculinity, this is femininity, then we have lost the whole battle in, in diversity uh, from a holistic standpoint. So and and, and great, great leaders emulate these kinds of characteristics. Uh, characteristics. I remember reading a story uh, from Richard Branson, the CEO of Virgin Atlantic, where he says he takes notes at meetings because he yes. wants to. I think that's a perfect example of a CEO who promotes equality through his actions. Yeah, and that was a beautiful. And talk about no ego, no ego you know CEO the founder of a company that's what leaders are supposed to do leaders are supposed to take on actions where you will ask a janitor to do doesn't mean that you're top here you you're too good to do that right I this this example looks sounds really gross but everyone takes a shit the same way right when you're at home you're going to sweep so it's not glamorous at home right why should it be glamorous at work it's not about your status. It's not about the kind of car that you show. It's about what comes from your heart. So I love that example that you used about Richard Branson. Thank you. And it's leading by example. And there was a recent conversation I had with one of my guests, Harpreet Kaur, who's a senior manager at Microsoft. And we were having a similar conversation about creating more inclusivity at workplace. And we talk about scheduling meetings or taking notes. She had a very different perspective. She was like, you know, you're keeping somebody accountable by taking notes. It doesn't mean you're a note keeper. You're trying to make sure everybody's on the same page and the accountability goes a long way to keep the project moving forward. So, you know, different takes on how corporations look at uh, these kinds of stereotypical roles is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's keeping people accountable, but when it becomes the same person all the time taking notes, then we become the enabler of of amplifying that stereotype at work then become. So I totally understand her point, but at the same time, this is something that I've done um, even at the workplace when I used to be with Amazon. It's I always tell people, you know, if you want me to take notes, someone else should be taking notes in the next meeting because when I become the note taker, every single meeting, you are preventing me from being engaged. You're preventing me from you know, giving my input and being active part in the project. So one time it's great, yeah, accountability is fantastic. But when it becomes on and on, an ongoing movement, then I feel that we become enablers. And also in the space of inner diversity, if we are a person of color wanting to promote that diversity, do you know, making any other programs or in launching programs, we need to become enablers of how can I find other people of color to come on board, right? And even if they, if they are not, I don't know, a manager, L6, whichever levels that a lot of organizations have, L4, even if someone is an entry level, how can I bring them and say, okay, your job is 40 hours doing this. I'm going to speak with your manager and say, how can we reduce your job to be 30 hours in this and 10 hours in this project so it can contribute to you growing as a person, as a professional. That's so, very true. Di- diversity is not from a singular lens. I always say it's from an eagle's eye view. You know, when an eagle flies, it sees everything from a holistic perspective. Everything is integrated. It's just like roots. Roots, just because a tree grows over here does not mean that it can reach out and touch another tree. So we need to look diversity from that perspective. 
That's an amazing analogy. Thanks for that. With that being said, I'm going to recognize a couple of our listeners. And to our listeners, drop in a question or a comment to win a free mentoring session exclusively one-on-one -on -one with Mila herself, the DEI scientist, on your career questions. And she's an amazing leadership coach who can guide you through workplace dynamics, especially in a DEI space. So thank you, Mila, for your generosity to spend time with our one lucky listener of ours as well. Absolutely. No, always, always an honor to share the insights. And that's what I, I always share with people. You know, we have to share our knowledge. We have to share our resources. It's you can't hold the seeds and expect trees to grow. We have to plant that seed. So um, it's always an honor to share. That's amazing. We have Ritu who's joining us. Hey, Ritu, welcome to the show. We have a special mutual friend of ours. Do you know who this could be? I know LinkedIn is putting her in the private mode, but take a guess at her name. Uh, is it Summer? Yes, it is. <laughs> hi, Summer. Hi, Summer. Summer says hi, Priyanka and Miller. And she has a quick comment. Positive and effective modeling is so important. I wanted to do a quick shout out to Summer Watson. She's an amazing podcaster. She hosts Core Women, which is another fantastic podcast that you need to check out. And uh, yeah, she's been a guest on my show as well. And she connected me to Fabulous Miller. So that's a perfect example she's of women amazing. helping each other. Yes, she is amazing. You have to check out her podcast as well. And she's doing amazing work. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we have a question from Ritu. How do you hire the best qualified candidates without being biased against or towards any specific community? So, all right. So this is something that I've been working on, on the hiring, on the hiring process, right? Especially right now, because of COVID, everyone is looking for a job, right? And oftentimes when we, when we want to hire, it goes back to your job description, Right. When we want to hire the most qualified candidate without being biased, our we need to check our biases first. We need to not only check our biases with the hiring manager, with the uh, with the interviewer, even with whoever is creating that job description. Number one, are we creating a job because we want to get all the busy work done, or do we want someone to be in that position and and get things done exactly how do we want them to do? Uh, are we creating, <coughs> excuse me, job positions exactly how we want them to grow? Or after a year, are we planning to, you know, say, okay, we don't need you anymore? We need to expand our biases beyond the blinders that we have. So, how do we hire the best qualified candidate? Isn't it a straight answer, right? We have to look beyond than that. Who are the people hiring? One of the things that I always tell people, eliminate panels, right? Hiring panels where you have four people, six people, that you are setting up the candidate for failure. You're not setting them up for success because when you have four, six people panel, and I've been on interviews like that, it's like a shooting drill, right? Everyone shoots you based on their biases. Uh, one of the best way that you want to interview the best candidate is and, and this is something that I want to urge everyone to eliminate from their vocabulary. There's no such thing as best candidate. I always believe in a candidate having currency and innovation and motivation. What do you say qualify? And what? How do you define best? Right? Best from your lens or best from whose lens? That's a bias itself. 
right? And when we want to say qualified, 15 years of experience does not make someone qualified. You can have 15 years of experience, but the person could be doing the same old thing for 15 years, not changing anything. Is that what you call qualified? A person with one year of experience with currency is more qualified than a 15-year experienced person. So how do you hire the best, right, without being biased? Number one is to really acknowledge the biases, is to really redefine how is how are you hiring? How are you writing that job description? How are you setting that candidate up for success during interviews? Your interviewing questions. Don't ask the candidate, tell me about your resume. It shows that you are not prepared at all, right? Don't tell someone about, oh, walk me through your resume. Uh, tell me about yourself. Those are not interviewing questions, right? You're setting someone up for failure as opposed to, to, to success. And this is something that I tell organizations. When you have three top candidates and only one position, and this is where the innovation, this is where we are trying to change, shift the, the needle in diversity. Why only have one person in a position that overlooks something major, right? I'm going to use this for example. We are hiring chief of diversity, head of diversity, and we say, oh, there's only one person who can fill this position. It's a stiff competition, you know. But how about when you have three great candidates, have one person to be the head, the other two person to be in their team as managers, you have three great minds as opposed to one fantastic mind. And then you have, you're setting them up for failure where they have to navigate a lot of things without a team. So how do you hire the best qualified candidate? It's just not a straightforward question. You have to dig into different branches of the tree. So first thing is to eliminate biases, regroup and to rewrite that job description. Are you hiring for someone to be the monkey? or hiring for that person to create and move on and set someone else for success for the incoming person. So there are nuanced layers to this. But great question, Ritu. Thank you for that. And you brought up a very good point in terms of hiring a chief diversity officer, you know, because with the ongoing uh, issues around Black Lives Matter and other racial injustice movements, a lot of organizations are looking to position themselves by hiring a CDO. But is hiring a CDO the answer for all the issues? And is that person going to resolve all the, the workplace dynamics? You know, the answer clearly is, a, you know, it's, it's a hit or a miss. And I like your idea of having a team of people who can help the CDO guide their strategy and vision. And I believe that employees need to be part of that vision. It just can't be a top-down approach. You know, the grassroots frontline employees need to be part of that strategic vision on how can you create the workplace to be more diverse and inclusive based on the cultural patterns that they've seen, as well as their own experiences that they bring to the table. And that will enable an organization to be positioned uh, for much more success in the long run. You brought up a really great point, Priyanka. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe in that grassroots level as well. We need to have our fellow team members be involved in the DEI effort, right? And not just about creating a DEI council and putting people in there and saying, oh, I'm creating this program and I'm, I'm bringing in parties or safe space to talk about. Having a safe space to talk about is great. But what are we doing beyond that? 
And I want to touch on a different layer as well. When we have our employees, I like to call them team members, team members involved in a DEI council, pay them, right? We have to pay them for their time. Don't just say this is part of your job because doing DEI work, it involves research. It involves analysis. It's trial and error. It's about constantly learning the patterns. To your point, it's a behavioral pattern. It's a culture pattern. It's a work advocate pattern as well. There are so many different layers. So when we involve our team members in councils like this, we also have got to be really mindful about, okay, they are doing another project on top of this. How can I reduce the 40 hours to do 20, 20 hours, right? Because without their voices, we can't, build greater things right just like a building without your foundation you can't have the building stand so i love that you brought up the council you need to have your your team members be involved in it as well but pay them and also because that's part of their career progression as well so right it's not like a nice to have because you're a person of color and need to be part of this council to make the council look good yeah <laughs> speaking of which you're doing a compilation of stories around diversity as part of your isolated diversity book tell us a little bit more about it sure so <laughs> i talk about you know diversity isn't isolated it's not a, an island isolated island where you just you know come on board <laughs> and you find a coconut tree and fruit trees no and that's the thing because i when I started doing diversity work, I, I was really passionate about this 20 years ago because I really wanted to understand how people of different backgrounds, right? When I say different backgrounds, different nationalities, different ethnicities, different languages, different religious practices, because your religious practices can frame the way, frame and shape the way that you think. And it also shape the way that you practice certain things. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, everything has got its pros and cons. So I was really curious to learn about how, why do people say the things that they say? Why do people do this, the certain things that they do? Why do people get together? Or why do people hate each other, right? And most of the time, I always feel that that's a lack of understanding, that lack of exposure, right? And a lot of the times, people want to, uh, to do certain work like, uh, okay, we are multicultural. Let's just celebrate this this festival together. Everyone come together and let's eat a meal together. Eating a meal together is fantastic, but what happens after that, right? So I started noticing when we come to a party, everyone comes to a party happily, despite your family quarrels or whatnot. Everyone comes together for Eid or for Chinese New Year or for Diwali or for Christmas. Everyone comes together regardless of whatever problems that you have. And then once that parties over they go back they don't talk so i wanted to look beyond that right humanizing conflict that's why it's like diversity is an isolator even when we talk about conflict conflict is about people not understanding each other conflict is about people saying mine is better than yours my culture is better than yours my my country is better than yours right immediately creates this segregation but what about we integrate diversity as to, you know, like how you are at, how you treat the janitor is going to impact how you treat someone else, right? You can't be positive at work and say, I'm all about empathy 
and then you go out in the restaurant and you treat your waiter or waitress poorly, right? Or you treat the person who's getting your coffee poorly and yell at them, saying you don't know what you're doing, you're stupid. And then you go back home in your community with your friends, you're such a great person. It does not work that way. And that's why I wanted to bring that awareness as to diversity isn't isolated, right? And I go back to this concept that I mentioned earlier, it's either you place someone, how you treat them places someone in their community or society or displaces them. How you pay someone, right? We talk about pay equity. If you pay them sufficiently to sustain themselves in an economy that is always <laughs> like rising, right? The, the rent is going up, food is going up, but you're only paying them $15 an hour or $45,000 a year, right? Have you thought about how it's going to allow them to have a roof over their head, buy meals, right? And cause them stress at, at home, we don't know whom they're supporting. They might be supporting an ill spouse, an ill parent, an ill child, a disabled child, right? Are they going back to school on top of 40 hours of work? What are they trying to do? Do they have a second job to sustain themselves? We don't know anything. So we can't look at diversity as isolated. Okay, I'm going to give you $5,000 a year pay increase. That will be sufficient for you. We need to integrate diversity as to how does one action impact them 10 times. It's a ripple effect. So I talk about, you know, diversity isn't isolated in the terms of, like, I'm going back to the three point. How you're at home impacts or is affected by how you're treated at the workplace. How you're treated at the workplace impacts how you're at home. How you show up in society as a whole has got direct collision as to how you're being treated at work or how you're at home. There's always correlation to the three-prong side. So that's how I approach diversity. It isn't isolated, it's integrated. That's pretty cool. So when, when is the book coming out? So I'm trying to write it faster. <laughs> so hopefully I'll release it in 2021, a brand new year, a brand new start to everything. Um, this yeah diversity took took a turn right everyone adopted it like a tsunami but i want people to look at it beyond black and white beyond color beyond um you know how can we just impact it at the workplace you know like yes we are all different i embrace that and i know that there's a huge issue in the united states where people of color are mistreated but we really need to unshackle all the systemic issues we need to really make that shift so i'm including all the experiences into that so hopefully i'll be releasing it in february by my birthday <laughs> that's pretty cool well that'll be an amazing birthday gift as well and do remember yeah. to let us know so our career startup clan can cheer for you when the book is out Oh, thank you. Thank you. You are just amazing, Priyanka. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, you know, anyone listening at that, I want you to know that Priyanka is an amazing, amazing leader, and even in the Asian community and even beyond the Asian community. So thank you for having this platform for so many Asian leaders to have a voice. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words as well. It's the inspiration that we derive from each other to make this world a better place a tad bit 
little bit better place than um, how we found it personally. So that's the legacy I always look at, uh, you know. All right, so we're close to the end of our episode. We have a fun rapid fire round for you. Are you ready for it? Yes, bring it on. So you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following. Your favorite role model? Oh, my favorite role model, my parents. What does success mean to you? Success is about failing, right? Uh, there's no definite answer about what success is. But to me, success is about failing and overcoming that failing and not looking at failure as failure. I look at failures as science experiment trying to improve myself. So that's what success is. I like the way you're looking at it. <laughs> what does happiness mean to Miller? Happiness is not derived from others. Happiness is from myself. How do I grow? How, how can I handle myself when I am lonely without friends, without people around me? Happiness is about really embracing my true identity, the true me. What is one fun thing about Miller that's exclusive to our Career Startup Leadership Podcast listeners? So very few people know about this. So I always make people do the moustache dance and I created the moustache dance about uh, 10 years ago. So it's a fun dance I created <laughs> when I, I randomly got humped by a random bloke on the dance floor. But I use that as an empowering dance. So that's something fun about me. That's pretty cool. What is your native language and how do you describe yourself in that language? Oh, wow. So I don't speak the language anymore. Um, well, I grew up speaking English, but my mom is from Malaysia, so we spoke Malay as well. Uh, oh, my God. I, I don't remember Malay anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> but translating it to English would be I am fun, caring, and loyal. Um, loyal. And, and if someone <laughs> breaks my trust, there's no loyalty for me anymore. So that's how I'll just got myself. Thank you, Miller. It was so wonderful to get to know the real person, Miller, as well as the DEI scientist who has interesting takes on how we can create more inclusive, diverse, and equitable workplaces to make the world a better place, not just for us, but for generations to come. And I feel as uh, the torch bearers who can speak up on issues that could be dealt in a much better way. I think we're paving way for better citizens as we look at the multi-generational workforce that we come to embrace as part of our workplaces as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are a phenomenal hitman, Priyanka. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing and inspiring and empowering many Asian leaders and people of color and just other humans as well. So thank you for this platform and this opportunity. Thank you, Mila. So we're going to do two things before we wrap up the episode. One is to let people know who the lucky listener is to win a free mentoring session with Mila. We had a couple of amazing questions from our listeners. Um, drum roll, Mila, as we figure out who that lucky listener is going to be. It's going to be Deepa Sarojam, who had a amazing questions and comments about diversity and inclusion, about micromanagement and how to navigate workplace dynamics as well. So interesting questions from her. Thank you, Deepa, for tuning in. And we'll connect Mila and you offline so you can grab your free mentoring session. And do let us know your key takeaways yeah. from that mentoring session as well.
Thank you, Deepa, for tuning in. Thank you, Deepa. If you're still listening to us, do leave a comment so we know that you've seen our, seen that you are the lucky listener. Well, to our listeners again, uh, this was such a wonderful episode because DEI is something that we keep hearing, you know, in news, at workplaces, but what exactly is the core of it? And bringing someone who is deep into this topic, uh, I thought that's a great way to bring Miller, who is an ally to the community, to help us understand things better, to shape our thinking and perspectives, especially as Asians, on how we can stand up and speak up to be your true, authentic self. So uh, thank you so much, Miller. And the key takeaway with Miller Dishan, DEI scientist on Career Startup Leadership Podcast is acceptance is key. Only when you accept who you are and feel good about it, that has a ripple effect on everything we look around. So that's my key takeaway. And if you have an amazing key takeaway, please drop in as a comment. We would love to listen more about it as well. And we have Deepa Sarojam, who's still here. She says, thanks, Priyanka. Thank you so much again. Mila, one parting thought before we let our listeners go. Yeah, one parting thought, um, you know, I always tell people that it is before we want someone to advocate for us, we have to advocate for ourselves. And from my lens, right, from the I lens, and then from the VR lens, if you are truly an ally, don't just stop at being an ally, be a success partner. Ally comes from a space of ego as to I'm doing this and then putting it on your Instagram or social media. Move the needle a little bit and, and pass that mic. If you have a podcast and if you have people of colour as, as your friends, bring them on. If you are a, an editor of a publishing company or a newspaper, bring them on as contributors. These are some of the spaces that you can truly become a success partner. We can only become enablers when we truly see them shine. So again, that's diversity from an integrated and not isolated perspective. Thank you, Miller. Thanks for your wonderful parting thoughts as well. And to our listeners, do continue tuning to our Career Startup Leadership Podcast episodes. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, do remember to follow me, Priyanka Komla, and our Career Startup Leadership Podcast page on LinkedIn to continue to get your LinkedIn Live notifications. We're also on YouTube, so if you're following us on YouTube, do hit like on this video, as well as your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Do continue to provide a rating and a review so we understand how this podcast has inspired you to be the best. All right, guys, we have another interesting episode coming tomorrow, so continue following us. We'll have uh, an amazing guest tomorrow as well. Until then, it's Priyanka Komla signing off from Career Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight world-class Asian leaders and interesting allies who provide insights from their personal lives to inspire you. Have a wonderful rest of the evening.